We're going to do a little bit of jumping around uh, today. But Luke chapter 24. Today is a good day, isn't it? You know, we got spent some time together uh, on Friday and we celebrate Good Friday and, and uh, everything that took place. And there's a bit of a somber feel to that, just knowing what uh, the pain and the suffering that Jesus felt on the cross and the separation and the anguish of, of literally taking on all of our sins, like the gnarliest sins known to man. Because we think a lot of times when we think about sins, we're like, can you say a lie to someone or something like that? But, but we're talking about like murder and rape and the, the worst things known to man was that he took on on the cross and he bore our shame. He bore our pain for us. And so there, there's, there's that whole element that is just, it's, it's hard even to understand, to fathom uh, what, what he went through. But we rejoice in what was accomplished but today it's all good news, all good news, all good things. And, and we have reason to rejoice because he is risen this morning, right? He is risen indeed. Uh, Luke chapter 24. Yeah. Open it up to verse one. Let's pray. We'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, this time this morning for each person here. We pray that you would speak to us this morning and, and, uh, help us to see how good you are you would rock our worlds, Lord, and that we would uh, really understand what was accomplished on the cross and then um, coming out of the grave uh, three days later, God. And we pray that you would just speak to us this morning by your spirit, that you would reveal yourself to us and, and that we would hear from you and it would change us and, and shape us and mold us and make us more like you. So we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. The best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. The Bible says that he was not raised just after uh, the blood shedding, but by it. This means that what the death of Christ accomplished was so full and so perfect that the resurrection was the reward and vindication of Christ's achievement in death. The best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself. That, so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. I said that apart again. That's got copied on twice. Whoops. But you see, the, the good news of the gospel is found in the resurrection. Because people die every day, right? It's, it's pretty much 100% possibility you will be born and you will die, right? And, and it's that in between the dash that we, that's Kevin's email, fill the dash, right, Kevin? <laughs> is, is how we live our lives and how we spend our lives and, and what matters. But at the end of the day, we are all finite here on this side of eternity, our bodies are made to live for such a certain amount of time. And, um, and we can tell that I, I just, I'm about to be 37 years old and I think in my head, I'm 20, but when I roll my ankle real bad, I'm, then I'm 37 and I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is a little different than it used to be where you kind of, you could literally like run off a broken leg almost right. When you're like 18 years old and stuff, you know, but you, you come to that, start to realize, you know, 
there is something about this life. It's not going to be forever. Uh, so we would be fools to just live for this. If there's something more, if there's something better. And we've been given that opportunity in, in what took place some 2,000 years ago. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1, we get one of the accounts of that, uh, that day. when they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and a certain other woman with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. Uh, But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, the fact that they were bringing spices meant that they thought that Jesus was still dead, right? That was something that they would use for a dead body to see their friend and to honor him. And and their love for him was very evident, right? That they loved Jesus. Uh, But they were not expecting to see him alive. They brought the spices. And and we're going to really see that they didn't expect it in a second here. But they found the stone had been rolled away. And I did a little bit of research to see exactly how big the stone might have been. And it was, they were thinking around four feet. It wasn't probably a super huge opening. But even if it was a stone that was four feet high, four to six feet, somewhere in there, it'd be somewhere between two to 3,000 pounds of a stone like that. And it would be in a bit of a track so they could roll it back and forth. But think about moving a car, right? That would be kind of the potential, without rubber wheels and all of uh, the benefits we have. So to find the stone rolled away would be something that would have to be done by multiple men. And it was meant to be set and forget. It wasn't something that you'd go in and out of like a screen door. You always hear it slamming and, you know, or opening the slider or whatever. What do you think we're, we're uh, cooling off the whole neighborhood, you know, close the door. No, that wouldn't be like that. It would be, it, it was a big task to open it and it was a big task to close it. And once it was closed, it was closed, right? That was the idea. But they found that the stone had been rolled away and then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, They said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Uh, It's like some angelic beings here. We know that because every time there's an angel, they're scared beyond belief, right? So angels, you're cute little angels. No, they're gnarly, right? They're terrifying to see. Uh, (laughs) Every time someone sees them, they are very scared and they're being told, okay, don't be afraid. Uh, But the, the question is asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? Fact of the matter was they weren't seeking the living. They didn't know what they were going for. They just knew they wanted to be by Jesus. And it's interesting uh, to think about the Friday to the Sunday. So for us, Good Friday, we kind of come together and we remember what Jesus did. And and we can kind of feel that to a certain extent. Nothing like what was going on, though, 2,000 years ago, especially amongst his friends. And and we know Mary Magdalene was there, and and her whole story was gnarly, and she was demon-possessed, and she was a prostitute, and and she was this, like, messed up woman that Jesus had, had... brought in and and had changed her life and and she was one of the first ones to see him but these women just wanted to be by jesus they loved him they didn't know what to do but so sometimes we think okay good friday uh lots of pain lots of suffering okay good that's over now we're on to sunday but you could imagine what it would be like for them from friday to sunday what would what would they all have been thinking right the disciples and all of his followers, they are scattered and they are extremely confused. 
right? Because on Palm Sunday, they're hailing, everybody's hailing their king. Here he comes. He's, he's here to rule and to reign and to take over and to, and to finally bring justice to, to, to his people. And that would be the Jews, right? To free them from the rule of the Romans. And they, they had this grand plan, but their plan was actually really small when it all came down to it. See, we, well, that's the same thing for us. Sometimes we, we ask and we, we're so fixed on these things that we're like, this is, no, this is the good thing. This is the best thing. This is what I need in my life. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to take you over here because this thing that you think is little is actually more important to get you to something way better than that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like power or uh, financial gain or anything like that. But it is... God working in you something. And it's just saying, you know better. And the people who were yelling and, and, or like praising him with palms, many of them were the ones that wanted to crucify him later. Because he wasn't who they thought he was. He kind of had a bad look getting beat. Nah, I don't know if I want that to be my king. You know, sometimes you can make a face and it's, it's so bad that you say, you might not want to do that to anyone because they might not be able to forget it. Every time they see you, it might be just like a little much for them to think about. You know, if we'd say that to my parents would say that and you make some like horrible face, I could do it now, but then I'd be fulfilling that. Uh, where you go, oh, that's not really how you want to be remembered. And so Jesus, uh, was who they thought would be their great King and, and thinking as a man, great Kings don't suffer. Great Kings don't, don't get controlled and thrown down and beaten and, and mocked and destroyed and spit at and, and then crucified next to two other criminals. But their perception was all wrong. What they thought they wanted wasn't what they wanted at all. They've been caught now in a place of like true limbo. They did not know what to do. They are very confused. And you could imagine that place. And, and uh, you know, we can be in that place. There's actually um, a good lessons from Friday, Saturday, and Sundays of life, right? The Friday of, of grief, of absolute pain and suffering, of Saturday of, like, disillusionment and, like, what was that all about? We, we saw him raise the dead. We saw him heal the sick. We saw him walk on water. We saw him cast out demons. Like, what happened? Like, how did this all fall apart so fast? What, what, what was that all about? But these women, they go and they just want to be with him because they don't know what else to do. Might I say, this is wise. <laughs> There's going to be seasons in life where you don't know what to do. There's going to be seasons in life where the world comes at you like hard and it's going to be overwhelming and devastating and heavy beyond belief. And it's not like some cute time where, you know, you just look at a card and, or like a, a inspirational quote and you'll be like, oh, oh, that's what I needed. Now time to keep on moving. But sometimes it is despair beyond despair. And, and many in you in of you in here have experienced that and everyone has to a certain extent but what it in that season the best place you can be is just near jesus living or dead i i don't know i just need to be by him and i want to i want to go to where he is i don't know what's going to happen next i just know i need to be by him i don't have a great plan i don't have 
really insight into the future right now. I just need to be by him. But the angels have a different message for them. He's not here, verse 6, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. It's interesting. Actually, at the end of this, we're not even going to quite get to it. But the end of this chapter, you see that their eyes were finally opened to really understand the scriptures for what was said, the prophecies. Uh, uh, Jesus speaking about, no, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rise again. And he's literally going to end up walking with them on the road, but they can't see him. And they can't understand what he, what's been said, and then all of a sudden their eyes have been opened. And now these women, you see, they're, they're understanding it and remembering his words. And they remembered, and they returned to the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So uh, we actually, it's interesting because they didn't know what was coming, but remember Pilate... Uh, said, hey, let's make sure that Jesus' body stays there. Because we had heard of some talk about him rising from the dead. So let's make sure that there's some guards and let's make sure that body stays in the tomb. Uh, those who weren't even part of it saw it, but nobody else did. Anyway, interesting. So, uh, and then verse 11. So they, they went back and they told this to the disciples. And the apostles, verse 11, and their words seemed to be like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, if you remember, Peter's story was, what was the last time Peter had an encounter with Jesus? What what happened? It was not great, right, Peter? (laughs) Not great. Oh, hey, Peter, you know, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he's like, no, I will not. And then, of course, Peter does. And and there's this whole dramatic scene where he's cursing that he doesn't know Jesus. And and he goes so far. And then there's this culmination where he realizes exactly what he had done and where he had come and and how much he was not even in control of his own actions. He has that encounter with them. And Peter, and there's a whole lesson in Peter versus Judas. Judas, we know, recognizes what he's done and he goes and he kills himself, right? Peter says, I blew it so bad, but I I miss him. (laughs) I miss my friend. And I know that we could get this good again. And, and there's this whole breakfast at the sea scene at the end of John that's beautiful. And it's, it's Jesus and, and Peter and reconciliation. And we're actually going to see from Peter in a second here uh, a little bit later. But he runs to the tomb because he wants to know what's going on. He says, if there's any chance, I've got to go see this. And so he goes there and the linen cloths are, are lying there. Um, again, those are uh, another good reason to think there wasn't grave robbers or anything like that, because uh, they would not have taken off the linen cloths off of Jesus, right? They would have taken them with them. He was like wrapped up. You wouldn't want to take the cloths off of a dead body and just leave them there. And then, well, no, leave the cloths. That'll be too much weight. You know, we're just going to take the, the dead body um, raw, basically, right? That wouldn't be a thing. So he sees the linen cloths there, and and he's marveling to himself at what had happened, but he doesn't know. Verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling at the same day, 
to a village called Emmaus, which was uh, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk and are sad? So it's obvious they're sad. It's obvious they're confused. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you uh, the only stranger in Jerusalem that you have not known the things which happened there in these days? Another thing you can note here, it was a big deal. Everyone was part of this. This was not just like a normal, you know, criminal's death. It was a big deal. Everyone knew what was happening. So they said to, uh, to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers de- delivered him to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. This sounds like they're hopeless though, right? They're like, yeah, he was a prophet. It's kind of like getting a little hazy as to exactly who he was now. Because we thought it was him. We were sure of it. We'd seen it in his actions and who he was. It just, this part does, does not make sense in this story. So he says, uh, Indeed, besides all this, today was the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that uh, they had also seen a vision of angels. Who And, and they, look, they call it a vision, right? They're trying to put it together. And, and you could see what happens when you have unbelief and doubt, how all of a sudden you start working things out in your own brain to work, to, to deal with it, right? Okay, yeah, they thought they saw a vision. They thought he was raised, but we can't deal with any more heartache. We can't, we can't go there anymore. Uh, and though, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him, they did not see. Then he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow to heart to, uh, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And we're going to see um, if we're going to kind of skip on from here, but Right after that, they, they talked about this burning of realizing that they were in the presence of God. They were in the presence of Jesus, and they realized who he was. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened up, and they saw it for what it was. But it's important to understand the state of the disciples and the apostles at this point was not very bold or very good. Do these seem at this point like men who would be willing to die for Jesus? Like, they're, they're already not even talking about him being the son of God, right? Which he had said multiple times. They're like, he must have been a prophet. I guess there's another one coming. They were not fully convinced. They did not fully believe in in who he said he was. Now, if you were to look at, this is Luke, and if you were to follow into basically Luke's second book, which is Acts chapter 2, Verse 22, we see Peter, who was all a part of this and who had made a bunch of mistakes and who had, was very, very flawed. We see Peter in a very different light. And it's a Peter that had met the risen Savior. Peter, in, in uh, chapter 22, Pentecost has just happened. The Holy Spirit has been given. And, and people think that they're drunk with wine. And Peter's like, it is like nine in the morning, okay? 
We are not drunk with wine. We're full of the Spirit. I have something to say. And it's before the very people that could have easily killed him when Jesus was alive. But things had changed because they saw Jesus risen from the grave. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. He says, this, this man, Jesus, he was foretold by prophecy. He lived. You guys were the ones that were responsible for killing him. And there was a great purpose. There was never a lapse in the plan. God knew what he was doing, that he would conquer sin and death. For Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be forsaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make uh, me full of joy in your presence. Now Peter says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. The patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and in his tomb, is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. This is where Peter gets into it. He says, I want to lay it all out for you. This was foretold. This man was prophesied about. This is the Savior of the world. And now he's going to say, this is the guy I knew. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and here in first Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be there probably in a month. Uh, cause we're going through first Corinthians on Sundays. It talks about, uh, Paul speaks of Jesus and his coming to, to live and to die for the s- sins of the world and, and being crucified and then being risen again from the dead and what happened and what was accomplished. And, and then it, it said he was around for some 40 days after he'd been risen from the dead before he ascended back into heaven. And during that time, all the apostles had seen him and also over 500 eyewitnesses had seen him. So there was a bunch of people who had seen him. That's what Peter's saying. Like, we're witnesses of him being raised from the dead. Like, we saw him. You know what's interesting is, is, what year is it? uh, what ad right okay (laughs) what's bc what's ad right this is critical in history like jesus set time okay it's not just some like religious kind of guy it was such a big deal that that time has been set on him we whether you know it or not you're giving reference to jesus every day that you talk about a date right that's he changed everything 
And it, it, uh, I think it's F.F. Bruce said, uh, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we probably would not even know who he was. Like, it, he would never, it would have been so obscure. He, he's not like he was wealthy. He was just this carpenter that did some kind of good stuff. But you can already see he was kind of like fading from the minds of his disciples. They were, they were already calling him prophets. And they're like, yeah, we just don't know what to do with him. But he did rise from the dead. And in doing so, brought new life and, and hope and peace. And, and in that, we see a, a changed man here in Peter and then with the rest. So he's saying we're all witnesses of that. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured this uh, out, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says, The Lord said to the Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my foot, uh, your footstool. Therefore, let all those of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Remember Peter scared of the little girl, right? Now we see Peter standing in front of everyone, proclaiming not just that Jesus was killed, but that he was killed by you guys. You guys crucified him. You crucified the living Lord. You crucified the, the hope for all mankind. I want you to understand that. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. What we really need to look at this morning is a couple things. First of all, did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's extremely important, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul basically says, if, if he didn't rise from the dead, we're uh, among men most to be pitied. Like, if we're talking about him rising from the dead, what are we doing with our life. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why do we give, talk about this as hope? Why do we lay our lives down and again and again and again? Because the followers of Jesus, they weren't like rich, right? They weren't like making a bunch of money off of this. They were willing to die and they were like using rocks as pillows. They were hardcore. But they'd seen what they'd seen and there was no unseeing that. They'd seen the, the truth and the reality of a risen Savior. Uh, actually, C.S. Lewis kind of speaks to that fact. He said, the first fact of the history of Christendom is a number of people who say they've seen the resurrection. And actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul says, over 500 eyewitnesses, many of which are alive today. That would be an issue if they weren't, right? I love that passage, especially looking at it around Easter. These people saw it for what it was. J.C. Ryle said, The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of the best attested facts on record. There are so many witnesses to behold it that if we do in the least degree receive the credibility of men's testimonies, we cannot, uh, uh, we cannot and we dare not doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in, uh, in any history, whether ancient or in modern the fact that he was recorded, it was recorded that he rose from the dead, not just in 
Christian literature, but secular historians as well, spoke of this man, Jesus, whom his disciples said were raised from the dead. Many of whom were willing to give up their own lives for that fact. Right? And we, we can obviously look at that. We wouldn't give up our lives for a lie. Right? You wouldn't give up much for a lie. Right? I mean, we would do that with your children a lot. You know? We were like, oh, tell me the truth. Because if I find out you're lying, you're going to have to have a, you know, a time out or whatever. We're going to have to take this away from you or whatever. Okay, fine. I did hit him in the face. You know? Okay, good. Because I, I could see the face, you know, the handprint on there, you know? Okay. All right. Fine. It's not worth the lie anymore. The consequences are getting a little bit too much, but imagine being face to face with your own death. And they're saying, deny Jesus or die. Well, that's what's really interesting though, is, is these great accounts we have in the gospel of these men before seeing him and these men after seeing him, right? Because we have Peter, who's scared to talk to this little girl. And then we have Peter who says, crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die the same way as my savior. He's, this, this is the difference. These men saw him risen again from the dead. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, it's worth taking a look at. Actually, uh, Lee Strobel, you know, case for Christ, uh, is, it's, it's been out for, I don't know, 20 something years now. And it's a beautiful story about, uh, this man who's a editor for the, I believe the Chicago Tribune or something like that. I can't remember the exact paper, but, uh, basically his wife becomes a believer and he doesn't like it. So he wants to prove that there was no resurrection. There was no Christ. Uh, he wasn't who he said he was. And, uh, of course, as the evidence started stacking up, he ended up himself becoming a believer. Uh, Jay, I actually got the chance to see Jay Warner Wallace. He was a cold case detective. He was on TV, actually, and he became a believer and wrote the book Cold Case Christianity. Uh, and it's called A Homicide Detective Investigates the Claims of the Gospels. Uh, there's actually a kid's version, and my son's reading it right now, which is kind of cool, right? But it's this brilliant man who uses all of his modern, uh, you know, uh, detective skills, a very skilled detective, to look at the crucifixion. And he came into it not believing in it. But he, as he looked at, at the evidence, it started stacking up. And he started to realize what he was really working with. And that was that Jesus had impacted the world so greatly and his disciples so great that something crazy happened. Of course, we see these men who are aimless and purposeless and they don't know what to do with their life. Change the whole world. You know, it's easy to feel aimless, hopeless, purposeless, to not know what to do, to kind of be caught up and stuck. That is mankind. That is just who we are. We are like easily so easily we're like ships without a rudder right what does that look like a ship without a rudder just spinning you know I th- oh good we're going the right direction not anymore you know oh good oh no that wasn't it oh is that the oh i'm getting sick it's like the teacups you know you start throwing up but but this very truth in the the message of the gospel that jesus god's son came lived a perfect life as a sacrifice for us 
to, to die and then to be risen again, to break all this, the bonds of, of uh, sin and death between us and the Father, to have this reconciled life and, and then to be able to live a life that is um, honoring of him and, and, and full of purpose. Because these disciples went from being like these super selfish, like kind of like, well, can I sit at the right hand? And, hey, we have a question. Can we sit at the right hand and the left hand, you know? They sound just like kids, right? You know, hey, um, when we go later, can I sit in the front seat? Now kids aren't allowed to sit in the front seat. You have to be like 150 pounds to sit in the front seat of a car, right? How old are you? You have to be 42 and 150 pounds to sit here, you know. When I was a kid, you know, you're like three years old and you're sitting in the front seat. You can't see over it. But we didn't have airbags. Things were safer. Um, But you go... And, and and you would call that, I call it, I call it. And they're doing this stuff all the time. All right, all right, Lord, can we, uh, you know, who's the greatest? Uh, uh, who Who's going to be your guy? Who can be here, sit here, and who can sit there? Um, I'm the one that won't bail on you, right, Lord? They go from that to so focused, so and driven, and so on point. Like, they, they get it. Because they had been legitimately changed. And I think that it would be kind of a misconception even to think about the gospel message as something you kind of just take in into your brain and going, okay, cool. So if I think about this, it's like fire insurance, you know, you, you want to have it. Um, I get all the things on the radio, earthquake insurance. I guess it's kind of like that too. We should get that too, you know. There's, the, there's some fault lines. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll become a believer. It is so consuming to become a follower of Christ, but you will never again feel like you have no purpose. You'll never again feel like you have no hope. You'll never again, because he will fulfill all of those things in you. And in the midst of darkness, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of hard times, he will take you through. He will guide you through and he will make you something in that season. It's worth taking a look at. The beautiful thing is, is it's not about us. It's not even about us. It's not like what we accomplish or what we can do. C.S. Lewis said, a dead Christ, I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. The simple truth is, he's paved the way. And he's just asking us to come and believe. And then just to say, Lord, you know, I've had the reins here, and I have not known what I've been doing my whole life. And I've made so many messes. And, I, and I'm so stressed out and I'm so tired. You know what? I'm, I'm done kicking against the goads. I'm done kicking against your guiding and your directing. I just want to follow you and I want to be, just live in that peace and see where you'll take me. Because the good news of the gospel is, is that each and every person in here was created by a loving and good God for a very good purpose, right? That's the workmanship, the poema. Like you are... God's, he's got something for you, to, for you to do. And it's found in him. There's, there's a, uh, a real, like, lack of, uh, our culture right now, we believe in everything but nothing, right? Like, everything's okay, but nothing is real, or nothing is, you know, there's nothing worth believing full-heartedly in. And it's really had its effect, right? And, and, and you know, we can see that in other ways. Like, think about, like, uh, going to a restaurant, like there's certain restaurants that have way too many things on the menu, right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And you like, you walk up and it's like 
the tiniest font. It's like 10 font, and there's literally like 300 things on the menu. And they're like, what would, what would you like? And you're like, I have no idea. Maybe a pair of glasses, magnifying glass, maybe a couple weeks because i got to figure this out. And then they're like, oh, well, maybe one of our specials will help. And there's like 17 specials. You know, you're like, this is still not helping. You know, there's too many options. And it's interesting, a lot of the places you go to like that, even though they're catering to everything, they're not very busy, right? You want to know somewhere that is very busy? In and out. What do you get at In and Out? Like a hamburger or a cheeseburger. Oh, a double one. That's a double double. It was even the special menu. I mean, there's not much to it. You look at the menu and it's just like, there it is. That's it. This is our options. Oh, we could get fries. There's three kinds of milkshake. It's four if you make it a Neapolitan. You know, you can do them all together. But it's just this simple thing where they are able to accomplish it quickly. They do it really well. And it's, they have a purpose. They know who they are. They understand their identity. And that's something that we as a society are struggling with greatly because we don't know who we are. And we've taken on a little bit of everything, and, and, but don't you dare say that there's one way. Well, the fact of the matter is, if Jesus said who he was and he did what he said he did, then there is one way. And that one way leads to life. It's good news. It's good news. And the good news is, is, is that he does it. The only thing that it's bad news for is your ego. Because it's not about you. It's nothing you could accomplish in and of yourself And it's not about where you want to go moving forward. God will allow you to do whatever you want to do. And that's ultimately, we're talking about like eternity. That is the ultimate allowing you to do what you want to do. Right? Separation from God for eternity. You've said you don't want me around. There you go. I'm I'm gone. Like I don't, you're on your own. Go for it. This is eternity. You've made your decision. I've tried so many times. I've given you so many options. I've given you so many opportunities. But he, he loves us, and he, and he seeks to call you, to, to pull you out, to grab you. You know, there's, there's so many things you can look back and say, that was God moving and, and pulling me. you got to understand, if there's a tugging on your heart, he's bringing you into something for something. Just like Peter. This, who was Peter? A fisherman? Like, kind of like a goofy guy that was always putting his foot in his mouth and wasn't extremely intelligent doesn't seem like you know normal not like a, he, was, he was normal but he was someone that god used in a miraculous radical way because he answered the call and he kept following and seeking jesus the same thing paul very intelligent but he was way off he was killing christians but he was called and he responded to that call that tug that pull god had a plan for paul and in his life and he has a plan for each and every person in here no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your, you know, your experience, your background is, or maybe you've been bummed, maybe things haven't gone the way you thought you were, they would, and you thought, you know, I, I've asked God for stuff, and he hasn't given it to me like I thought he would. Well, I, I would just say keep seeking him. Give him another chance to move in your life. If, because he, I, I found there is no life like following the life, like a life following Jesus. It's just, there's, I, I couldn't imagine walking without him anymore. I remember that desperation and the pain and the suffering and the, um, the feeling alone and, and, um, 
the insecurity, that all of those things that, that are out there, God wants to pull us in, bring him in for a good purpose today, to really to bring you from death to life. The, really, the, the decision is, is at the door. He uh, makes it super clear. If you want to follow me, just, just come and confess your sins before me. Recognize, and all that's doing is recognizing that you have not paved the, the way. And you're saying, I need your grace, I need your mercy, and then asking him to come into your heart. Um, and so we're even going to do that, and we're going to pray right now, and, and we'll have the worship team come back up, and then we'll continue partying, 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 partying with a brunch and, and some coffee and just being able to hang out together. So let's pray, Lord. Thank you so much for the good news of the gospel that you uh, sent your son to die for